Men, if you must die with your boots on, die for your families, your homes, your country, but do no longer consent to die like rats in a trap for those who have no more interest in you than in the pig you dig with. Well, that was awfully dramatic. It is. It is awfully dramatic. And when I first started researching this, I was like, oh, it's interesting, but not that interesting. And then I was like, oh my goodness, this actually is pretty interesting. And just in case you're lost for a second, you did not just land on a drama series. This is another situation. And I (laughs) am Ingrid. (laughs) And I am Jessica with a cold. Sorry. Always. I have a toddler that still likes to put everything in his mouth. And then in yours. (laughs) He literally coughed in my face. I was like, Luke, cover your mouth while you cough. And then he turned, looked at me and coughed directly in my face. (laughs) That was three days ago. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. So this is our Secret Society part one podcast. Yes. How did we decided we were going to do this based on... Some other episode we did where there was a secret society or something, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and we got excited, and we said, let's uh-huh. do it. Yep. I don't remember which podcast it was, but yes, that's what happened. It, it was just like within the last two weeks. It was. It really was. But then, so like we both got super excited and then started researching, and then it just, all the basic information you can find on secret societies, it's not that fun because it makes it not secret, you know? Well, I think that's fun, but I think that this was a horrible, awful idea because (laughs) (laughs) we do last minute research. Like we just both finished our stuff today and that's after putting it off for like three days. Mm -hmm. And if you take on like the Knights Templar or the Illuminati or something like that, it, that's not a couple hours worth of research. Oh, no. That's like someone's like lifetime research project right there. I was thinking Lifetime <laughs> Achievement Award. <laughs> what if we get Lifetime Achievement Awards for these next two episodes? <laughs> I highly, highly doubt that. Probably not. Highly. Okay. okay so I'm it was gonna, a huge oh. undertaking and it stunk, but we did it for you. For you. You. Speaking of you, you, ooh, don't spoil anything. I won't, but we did. Did you this finish it for you? I did finished you finish it, it for you. Oh, I'm just gonna I have keep two saying more to that go. over and over again. <laughs> Stop saying you. Okay, I'm super excited to finish. Okay, do this. Okay, so my resources are Penn State University Library, uh, Wikipedia, History.com. Um, the Library of Congress, super, super fancy, and uh, more Wikipedia. So, yeah. Those are stellar uh, references. I mean, Library of Congress. I also use the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission website. I missed that one. Well, now you're truly fancy. 
Yes, because it was only like three Wikipedia web pages. Okay, here's your one chance. Fancy, don't let me down. Okay, so I am going to talk about the Molly Maguires. The Molly Maguires can be traced back to early 19th century Ireland. They're actually named after a widow who was fighting against the English landlords because they were living, the Irish was living on their land and the English would just decide to stop using the land as potato farms and they would make it pastures. So they called it the land wars. And then the land wars, I think it was like the 18, late 1850s. During the land wars, they would tear down the fences. They would plant seeds in the pasture. Like they would just, and then they also, the Molly McGuire and her group actually got a little violent and they would get into fights and like they would go and they'd beat up all these Englishmen and Welshmen and be like, the sons of Molly McGuire came and got you. And like, so Molly McGuire was actually a real person and she was fighting for the tenant rights and the farmer's rights um, of, of Ireland back in the day. So that is the origin. And there was a whole bunch of groups that they actually compared it to. There was, um, the ribbons, ribbonsmen or something like that. Uh, and they would usually dress up as women. Um, some of them would dress in like white robes. Some of them, the, actually the Molly Maguires, one source said that they would paint their faces like black with the, uh, blackened, um, uh, cork. And then they would dress up as women and then go attack stuff. And then the other ones would dress up all in white and then go attack people. After the potato famine, a whole bunch of Irishmen and women, uh, families came to America in the hopes of, you know, a big payday, better living, better wages, everything. But the majority of them were Catholic and the majority of America at that time, this is pre-Civil War, were Protestant. So not only were they shunned because they were Irish, they were also shunned for their religion. And so there was a lot of, uh, I don't know if you quite knew this, but like back in the day, there would be help wanted signs. And then underneath it, it would say, but Irish need not apply because they were looked down on. Um, actually, the Italians were too. The Irish Italians and um, Blacks were all looked down um, the same. When these Irishmen came and they settled, we're talking about in the coal mines of Pennsylvania. So this is where the majority of the story takes place. So these Irishmen settled there to work in the coal mines because the English that were working there did not like the pay, did not like the working conditions. And these immigrants coming over would work for less pay and not complain about the, the working environments. Sounds like a pretty familiar story that is still going on today. So the, the, they were getting paid less pay, obviously. Um, and the majority of the people in that were like the foremans and the supervisors were Welsh, English, and German. And then the laborers were all the Irishmen. So it was kind of like back in Ireland going up against the Welsh and the Englishmen. So part of the Molly Maguire spirit came over to the United States. And I will say that there is actually no valid documentation that says Molly Maguire's were in the United States. There was another, supposedly they were under the cover of the ancient um, order of Hibernians. And that was their cover. And the ancient order of Hibernians, they were uh, up and up uh, fraternity that tried to do everything the political way, try to get things done, you know, kind of like a proper union. But everyone said that that was just the cover for the Molly Maguires. 
Anyway, so the part of the living conditions, I saw this quote and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. Like children, um, there's a big mine uh, collapse in Pittsburgh and the people that died were from age seven to 77 that died. And so people grew up working in a certain amount of the coal mine where the coal actually gets smashed down into little pieces and their jobs would be to take the slate out of the coal to because slate's not burnable. And so- they would say like when you're on the retiring end of the coal mines, you would start up, you would finish where you ended up starting out because the older men couldn't do all the hard labor stuff in the mines, which is so sad. This is one of the quotes um, is from a history of the coal miners of the United States. Hundreds of hundreds of families rose in the morning to breakfast on a crust of bread and a glass of water who did not know where a bite of dinner was to come from. Day after day, men, women, and children went to the adjoining woods to dig roots and pick up herbs to keep body and soul together. So these people were starving. There was a man uh, previously prior to this quote that I was reading this reference that just had to bury his youngest child and still had six, six other children in the house and didn't have a single amount of food to feed them. Collapse in the mine, a lot of them said that it was because they didn't have another escape route to to go. There's only one way in, one way out. There was poor ventilation. A lot of the men uh, would come out with the lunches that they brought in because the if you missed the little train of um, the cart thing that would go on the rail, if you missed that and you didn't have it loaded up with coal, you didn't get paid. So the only way, like you, like they would have to work through their lunch to make sure that they didn't miss their cart and their cart was full. So just super, super sad. And then in the, I think it was 1772, I may be off on that year, the coal companies decided to reduce wages by 20%. So these people were already living impoverished. There was all this stuff going on, the, you know, the poor working conditions, and then they're going to reduce their pay by 20%. And so the coal miners are like, no, screw this. We're going to um, strike. So they started striking. And during this time, Frederick Gowan, he was the president of the railroad, um, the Reading Railroad and the Pennsylvania Railroad. They're actually real rail- railroads, which I did not know that. Thank you, Monopoly, I guess, for teaching me that. And uh, so he was the president, Rich AF. And he, I called him Frederick, it's Franklin. So Franklin B. Gowan decided to hire a Pinkerton because he heard about the Molly Maguires and he heard about an uproar and he heard about all the stuff going on. And so he, um, I don't care to remember his name, James McFenna, McKenna, whatever, some turncoat Irishman that was now working for the Pinkertons decided to be a spy into the Molly Maguires. And he would give feedback every day on this person's a Molly Maguire, this person's against the coal mines, you know, and like would get all this stuff going. Well, what he didn't know, he thought it was just going to his Pinkerton supervisor and then to directly to the coal mining supervisor. The information was actually getting leaked to vigilantes who were then going out and killing people that were supposedly part of the Molly Maguires. They went and they killed, they went into one house, they killed three men that were associated with the Molly Maguire. They killed a wife of one of the men, executed her is actually how they said it. So I don't like, I don't even want to, I didn't go into how that, and their child. So they like killed everyone. And shortly after that, McKenna, which I think was his spy name, was like, I'm going to resign. Um, granted, the three Mollies that 
died had it coming, but I don't consent to killing women and children. Like, oh, okay, glad you drag a line there, buddy. Uh, Gowan was totally against any of the Maguires, uh, any of the Mollies, and, and going up against them. But the Mollies, at the same time, they were sending, they're called uh, coffin notices. And we'll post a picture on our Instagram because it was on Wikipedia. And so it's so funny. It's actually like a picture of a coffin. And I think in the coffin, it says like you or something like that. You didn't say that the right way. You. 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 And it was you. (laughs) And like it had like little guns drawn all over it, like threats, like if you don't change your ways, um, these three people are, we're going to come and find you. So coffin notices got sent to the foremans, the businessmen, the owners as a way to stop being shady and start looking out for your people. And so some of them ended up dying. Like there was a threat. John Kehoe, he was actually the leader, a supposed leader of the Molly Maguires in the US. Um, And in the movie, I didn't watch the movie, but in the movie, he's played by Sean Connery. So John J. Blackjack is his nickname. Kehoe was the lead man. And he ran into someone at the 4th of July festival, him and some other report, uh, quote unquote, Molly's. And they threatened this, foreman or supervisor again didn't care to know who he was and uh shortly after that lanston shortly after that he was attacked and he died 15 years later not like the next day not like and remember how we did that story in the 1850s in san francisco about how they hung the man like that day so 15 years later they bring blackjack kehoe to trial for this dude's death And all the evidence was circumstantial. Everything was, you know, not on the up and up. Uh, And they, he was found guilty and he was executed. Well, what was kind of cool on that part is that in January of 1979, his great grandson refused to accept that his great grandfather was guilty and kept petitioning. And the governor, Milton J. Schapp, issued a full pardon to, to John J. Kehoe. So it was just, it was like a mob battle pretty much. And there was another group. It was called the Working Men's Benevolent Association. They were more like a union form of the Mollies. There was uh, supposedly a lot of Mollies that were part of the WBA, but the WBA was kind of the, like the um, ancient order of Hiberians. Like they were the ones that actually tried to work with and make better relationships between the workers and, um, you know, the supervisors. So they, uh, they were formed and they started and they actually did improve relations a little bit. Um, it was like mob. It was like the rich owners and the Englishmen, the German and the Welsh, like they were all prospering off the backs of the Irishmen. And then the civil war comes about and blackjack, he's like, I don't want to go fight. They were, they got recruited to fight on the behalf of the union. Like, I don't want to fight this. It's a rich man's war, but poor men are dying. That's not a direct quote, but that's the generalization of what he said. But then they ended up did getting drafted. And then actually the war, the civil war, increased the industrialism of the coal mining industry and made it worse for the Irishmen. And like it was after the civil war that they wanted to do the 20% decrease in pay. So it's just, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff going on. So in uh, going back to the Molly Maguire twi- trials, so there was 20 Molly Maguires, 20 or 24, I actually read it 
both ways in a bunch of different places. So 20 to 24, Molly McGuire's were brought on trial for several murders of foremans, you know, the, the upper, upper management. Um, and so this is about the trials. The Molly McGuire trials were a surrender of state sovereignty. A private corporation initiated the investigation through a private detection detective agency. A private police force arrested the alleged defenders and private attorneys for the coal companies prosecuted them. The state provided only the courtroom and the gallows. And because of yellow journalism back in the day, Molly Maguire's were frowned upon and like people thought that they were the worst, that they were just running amok and killing everybody. Even the Pope at the time wrote a letter like condemning their actions. But now that we look back, we see that it was more they were looking out for the working man who was no one was looking out for them. Like no one they were treated like dirt. Their children were dying. They didn't have food. They didn't have good working conditions. Like I mean, black lung. That that's in the it still happened to coal miners, like even in the 1900s. And so now history has it been able to look back on the Molly Maguires and be like, you know what? They actually were a powerful force in getting um, workers' rights and and looking out for the laborers that were actually doing all the work. So they didn't. There was violence. There was corruption and there was false accusation and sad deaths, but they actually did bring about a good change or the start of a good change at least. So that's, that's the Molly Maguire's. There's a lot more. If you want to go into detail over each charge and each murder and each person, there is a lot more detail, but doing that, we just would have gotten lost in the weeds. So that's the, the gist of it is that even back in Ireland, they were fighting for, Poor, poor workers' rights against their aristocrats, I guess. I don't quite know what to label them. The higher class. The higher, yeah, the higher class, the owners. Well, that was good. That was it was a good, short. It was short, but it was, like you said, it would have been, I mean, I think you would have confused me if you would have gone into too much more detail about things. I think it's a good <laughs> It's a good synopsis of, and the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when they were executed, was that then the end of the Mollies? Well, it's hard to say because supposedly they were never in America because there's no hard evidence that they actually were. But so like it actually kind of started what they saw, they did it by geographical location. So they saw that Irishmen from the people that were fighting the land wars in Ireland were from the same place that the people in Pennsylvania were fighting there. And it was some of the same tactics. And so that's why they decided to say that they were Molly Maguire's. But the only thing that is documented is the ancient order of Hiberians. So it's, it's hard to say. So that's why it's called considered a secret society is because there's literally no documentation that it was them in the United States, but I don't know. Maybe they're still somewhere around. Well, good job. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, my cold induced research. <laughs> yeah. At least it wasn't medicated and you went into some weird, not accurate tale. Let's do bees. Yeah, go ahead. 
Uh, be medicated. <laughs> <laughs> be a Molly McGuire. Uh, don't be you. Don't be coughing in other people's faces. <laughs> As I cough. In my face. Virtually. <laughs> okay, we'll see you next week with another Secret Society. Dun, dun, dun. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to reach out to us or submit your situation, please contact us at another situation podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at another situation podcast. We're also on Facebook at another situation. Another situation is produced and edited by 0.5 Pinoy. Music is written and performed by Tim Crow. <laughs>